This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Welcome to the Carbon Connection Podcast. It's not too late to change the conversation about climate change from doom and gloom to a conversation about possibility. This podcast is a curated selection of episodes that we just had to share with you. The Carbon Connection is about the many dimensions of climate change and the conversations people are having across the globe. It's about hope, community, advocacy, science, and changing our future. Hello, this is Greg Peterson, the host of the Urban Farm Podcast. Today I'm sharing with you a special episode of my podcast on building a successful community garden. My guest, Christine Lance, for a Master Gardener's Project, decided to start a community garden. And in this interview, she sparkles as she shares about her 13-year journey. Enjoy and check out urbanfarmpodcast.com for hundreds of stories about building our local food system. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 682nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who has done the hard work of setting up a strong community. We're talking with Christine Lance about planning, building, and maintaining a resilient community garden. Chris started gardening in her 20s, and her knowledge went deeper after completing the Master Gardener class at Colorado State University. To help complete volunteer time required at CSU, she helped to build the first community garden in Ridgeway, Colorado, and then expanded it from seven members to the 137 that are served today. 2022 will be Christine's 13th year with the Ridgeway Community Garden. Welcome to the show today, Chris. Oh man, Greg, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to finally meet you after listening to your podcast for two years. Well, and I do want to say that you did something really bold. You listened to my (laughs) podcast and then you reached out and said, I've got a story to tell about community gardens. Can I share? And I really Mm -hmm. want to acknowledge you for, for doing that because this is how I get the great people to talk to. And this information is so incredibly important. So thank you. Yeah. Yay. I'm so excited to be here and talk about how to build a successful community garden. Yay. Right. Well, let's start with, can you fill in the blanks about how you got started with all this? Well, you know, that piece of me in my twenties who just loved going out onto this little piece of land that I had and trying to grow whatever I could. You know, the Mm -hmm. gardeners in the area used to come by and say, what are you going to try to grow next, Chris? Bananas? (laughs) And I'd say, no, corn is hard enough. Have you always been in Colorado? You know, no, I grew up in Northeastern Ohio, where I first saw my grandfather create a beautiful Mm. garden in our backyard where the compost pile was just a heap on the ground. And he grew these 
tomatoes as big as your hand and the most delicious green beans ever in that volcanic soil of Northeastern Ohio. And my grandmother grew the most beautiful flower beds. And I actually remember when I was young thinking, someday when I don't have to work so hard, I'm going to have a beautiful flower garden like that. But I had no concept of becoming a vegetable gardener. Mm. And I actually don't know why that happened, except for the fact that I can be a little competitive and driven, and I'm not happy unless I have a project. Uh And I think the garden kind of started as a project. I'll just put in a garden and see how it goes. (laughs) But now my drive is to grow delicious vegetables that I'm passionate about consuming. Right. Excellent. And, you know, in your bio that you sent over, you sent over 10 steps to creating a community garden. And this is a really good list. And I want to go over it. And I want to make sure that we have time to go over it today. But before we do that, can you paint us a picture of what the Ridgeway Community Garden looks like? Oh, I would love to do that. So in our little community of 1,000 residents, We have this combination of very high mountain peaks, many peaks over 10,000 feet that surround a low-lying valley. Wow. So first of all, it's this magnificent, really, (laughs) environment. Mm -hmm. I'm looking out my window now and the peaks are covered with snow. But at the community garden, as you drive out of the little town of Ridgeway, through the industrial park, you come to an open flat area that used to be all agricultural field. And up to your south and east, you see the middle school and the high school perched on a little knoll. Mm -hmm. And in front of you is the parking lot and a 1.1 acre community garden surrounded by eight feet of deer fence. Because we... have a lot of deer and elk in our region, right? As well as raccoons and skunks and you name it, (laughs) wild creatures. So you come up to the parking lot, there's this big pole fence, a drive-through gate with a stone-lined driveway in the shape of a heart. Aww. Yeah. So our cars can drive around the interior of the garden And then the interior of the garden has all of these rather beautiful wooden raised beds with metal corners on them that are painted black. And all of the garden beds are set on the perfect angle so that the long edge faces slightly east and south. Nice. And why did you do that? Because as the sun rises in the east in this cold environment in the spring, and it starts to swing around to the south, it bleeds down the little miniature rows that our gardeners plant in those boxes. Mm. So it's the best sun exposure, right? And then that long edge is facing the warm southern sun on top of that. And so then people would logically on the south side of the bed, plant the shorter stuff. 
And on the north side of the bed, plant the taller stuff, I would think. Right on, right on. So, you know, this garden is in this great big open space with this big fence around it, this little driving path, all of these beautiful beds, which all have on them in the summertime, a PVC hoop over the length of the bed Mm -hmm. with a low tunnel material over the top because we have high winds here and we have very intense sunlight at 7,000 feet. So we have to Mm -hmm. protect our crops a little bit. So you walk into this garden and you see all these low tunnels all lined up. You turn around to the south, you see the Mount Snuffles range. Then you look to the west and you see grazing cattle. You look to the east and you see the new growing community that we call Strollerville because it's filled with young families. Oh, well, very good. <laughs> yeah. Perfect for a community garden. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And so you spent a fair amount of time over the past 15 years, really getting clear about what it takes to create a community garden. And you sent over, as I mentioned earlier, you sent over 10 points that people want to pay attention to before they start one. So Let's just jump in and start. What is number one? So number one is when you're thinking about creating a community garden and you're starting to get your folks together that are going to help with this process, you first think about what are the actual needs and desires of the community, not what you want to create, although certainly you have a vision. Mm -hmm. But you keep trying to push that vision to the back of your brain and you have community meetings and you have it in a space where everybody knows where to get to this place easily. Mm -hmm. You schedule a month in advance. You invite everyone via social media and flyers. You invite your town manager and the parks committee and anyone who's going to financially support you. And you get somebody up in front of that room that is really good at guiding a group. And you ask them, what do you want? If you could envision anything in a community garden, what would that look like? And then you have, you know, the big charts on the wall and you write down exactly what they want. Do they have a, Mm -hmm. do they want a children's play place? Do they want a swimming pool? No, just kidding. (laughs) Do they want herb beds? Do they, are they focused on permaculture? Do they just want to have a place where they can do poetry readings? You know, you just let them be really creative and you listen to them. And you do that a number of times, maybe throughout the course of a year. Mm -hmm. I think we ended up having three or four meetings with around 35 people in the room from six-year-olds to 80-year-olds. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and this is probably, this is neck and neck with number two on the most important things to do. Mm. You, you have to have community buy-in. If, you, if the community's not on board, good luck. It's probably going to fail. That's right. Yep. And, and then number two, step number two. Secure a piece of land in perpetuity. So we got kind of lucky, if you want to call our ultimate failure lucky <laughs> because <laughs> well, our we'll first... talk about that and we'll talk okay, about that a little in, later. A, in, a, in a little while but really what you want to do is you want to make sure that you own the property yes because how... they can go over way, they can go away overnight 
Yeah. And how do you do that? Well, you know, you get really creative. You find out who are the big landowners in your community and would they, would they like to get rid of a piece of land? Mm -hmm. Why not go that route? You talk to your local municipality and you see, do they have a piece of land that they're not doing anything with at this time? Or do they have an open space requirement and they'd like to fill that with something creative and useful like a community garden right that you know that's plugging into a a need that they might have yeah is there an empty parking lot somewhere that is a bit of an eyesore and your community would be really interested in donating to that eyesore and making it a beautiful safe place for Mm -hmm. people to go you just have to start reaching out the mitochondria and figuring out, or maybe the mycelium is more appropriate. And finding they're both out, appropriate, actually. <laughs> where are those pieces of land? And you just start digging and writing letters and making phone calls and and getting a piece of land like that that can be kept into the future. Yeah, very important. And number three, reach out to other community garden organizations for support and knowledge. Oh my goodness, I cannot emphasize this enough. When we were getting ready to build this new garden, especially, we started digging for, okay, who are the other community garden organizations in our state, in our region? Oh my goodness, there's Mm. something called DUG. Denver Urban Gardens runs 150. What? 150 community gardens in the region around Denver. I'm getting chills. This is amazing. They kind of know what they're doing. (laughs) You can go to their website. I mean, I cannot tell you how many phone calls I had with them. Hello, Candace. We have Canada Thistle on this piece of property that the town of Ridgeway is going to give us. Can you give us some recommendations? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Wow. So search, search your state and region for other organizations that are already doing this. Perfect. Number four. Construction. Oh, boy. So now after you've done all of those number one, two, and three important steps of community buy-in, securing the piece of property, and reaching out to the organizations that have the expertise, now it's the hard work of infrastructure. This is where you need someone who is the funding person or a group of people who are the funding people. And if you can land somebody on your steering committee or on your board who is a grant writer, kiss their feet. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Well, and there's plenty of grants out there for stuff like this. Oh my gosh, there's so much. You know, we went to the Colorado Garden Foundation. We went to our own town of Ridgeway. We tapped the local Alpine Bank. We went to all of the little foundations and nonprofit community organizations and ended up raising $40,000 to build this garden. Wow. It's an expensive proposition if you do it right and you make it beautiful. Now you could go much smaller than that, right? But Mm -hmm. there's that funding piece. Then there's the consideration for, is this piece of property that you've acquired, does it have special ecosystem requirements? Mm -hmm. It just so happened that our piece of land is extremely windy and it's a bit of a cold sink. 
but maybe you have freestanding water or maybe you have pavement that you need to get rid of or maybe you have heat radiating off of a nearby building. If you can put all of those things into perspective early on and plan for them, you're really a step ahead. Nice. And and then in doing that construction, again, you're keeping the community needs and the desires in mind. Do they want to see a solid fence around your property or do they want to see an open fence? And there's about, you know, 25 other questions that hopefully you ask them in step number one. And so you know what those are and you're ready to handle them during that construction phase. Got it. And yeah. number number five. Number five, board-driven creativity and communication is so key. We've had a number of boards throughout our 13-year history. They have all been wonderful. And here's the deal, Greg. Boards are like good friends. When you choose your friends, you choose people who, what, have your best desires in mind. They Mm -hmm. listen to you. They're open to new ideas. They don't take things personally. They don't have their own agenda. They make promises and they keep them. them. So important. Oh, so important. And they keep those promises in a timely manner. And that communication is open, open, open. So you choose your steering committee and your board members with all of those things in mind, and then you're golden. Yeah, yeah. that's that's really important because it, yeah. And you have enough of a board, you know, like six, seven people seems to be the sweet spot. Like mm-hmm. I've talked to gardens that have failed that only have one person in charge or three people in charge, and then they get too overwhelmed. And then the garden fails because there's not enough momentum, impetus, and workload separation to keep that garden going. Yeah. Yeah. And number six. And number six is setting a garden and its gardeners up for success. You know, the movie, build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. You build your garden so that, I mean, if you can do this, this is, this is kind of the ultimate. If you've got that great grant writer, so you've got enough funding and you're not shy about asking your community members for help in every way, you know the carpenters in your community, you know the master gardeners, you know the people who can lay a driveway, you know the high school wood working teacher who can build free garden beds for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've made all of those connections. Now you're building a garden in which basically all the gardener has to do is walk into that beautiful space and garden because you've put in an above ground grow bed for them. You've provided them with organic soil. You've created a compost pile for them that will enhance their beds every year. And you're also on top of all of those gardening things with a shed full of tools, etc. You're providing them with a space, which is so beautiful to come and have potlucks, Mm. music, 
yoga classes, <laughs> you're build, building community, you're having fun with them, as well as learning the art of gardening. So this one ties back to number one. Yes. Mm -hmm. you know, building that community piece. All right. Number seven. Different models of gardens. There's two different types. There is the rental plot garden, which is what the Ridgeway Community Garden is. Mm -hmm. So a gardener rents a plot, pays us $60 for the entire season, brings their seed in and does their thing. And we have educational classes for them, but they're in charge. Mm -hmm. That is a very easy garden to organize. And that's the majority of gardens across the United States. But you can also build, as we did in the beginning, a communal or a teamwork approach where you have groups of gardeners who work together to grow a specific kind of food. So in the old garden, we had the Allium group and all they grew was garlic, leeks, and onions. <laughs> and we had the greens group that grew nothing but lettuce, spinach, and arugula. But that was a really big organizational carry. Mm -hmm. It took a lot of hurting the artichokes. Mm -hmm. When are you guys getting together to plant your greens? Oh, no, no. You don't want to wait until June. You want to do that in April. <laughs> right. And have, has your group pulled the weeds over in that, you know, section of the garden? So it was a really big organizational burden. And so we decided to go with the individual plot. Perfect. And then number eight. Involve and connect your garden members through teaching and social events. So as an example, at the RCG, I do a series of gardening programs throughout the spring and the summer mm -hmm. and invite all of the membership for free. Mm -hmm. And then we keep a list of outside gardeners who are not members, but who are from the surrounding community. And we invite them in to come to those teaching opportunities also. So we teach them how to garden. We also bring in outside teachers, for instance, from Colorado State University to come mm -hmm. in and teach things like seed saving. Woohoo. And then I also do a series of YouTube videos and post that for our gardeners. And then there's a couple of gardeners who are on our board who do the social event planning. So our potlucks and our nice. other casual get together so we can have some fun too. Cool. Yeah. And then number nine, create and develop working relationships with the community, you know, different nonprofit and for-profit organizations. And I'll give you an example again of what RCG does. We have the following relationships or collaborations within our community. We collaborate with the middle schoolers who come over and do the hard physical labor in our garden each spring uh, and nice. summer. Oh, it's great. And all we have to do is feed them ice cream at the end of their workday. It's fabulous. Perfect. We give extra food every year to our local food bank. Mm -hmm. And we're really excited this year that via that collaboration, they are now going to rent a bed at our nonprofit price. And they're going to come with a young couple and raise food just for the food bank. 
Nice. That well, yeah. that does that does another thing. One of the things that I've discovered over forty years is that the only place that lack lives is between our ears. Because when I look at the landscapes that we develop for food growing and natural landscapes, the abundance is amazing. So this, the other thing that it does is that it plugs in the food bank on site so that when there is an abundance, somebody has an abundance of something, they, the food bank can take it. Oh, Greg, thank you. I never thought about that. Yeah. We, could, we could line up a bunch of coolers and say, put your extra produce in these coolers and then the food bank can pick it up. Thanks for that idea. <laughs> this is why we do what we do. Yes. Cool. Excellent. Then we have we have a couple other um, collaborations, one with WIC Women, Infant, and Children. So yes. these families are brought in and they're teaching their youngsters. And then this is a really cool new collaboration for us. There was just an apiary built to the south of our garden, and they are now subleasing from the Ridgeway Community Garden. So we have this collection of Italian bees flying around near the community garden. And so wow. a new collaboration with the apiary in the town nice. of Ridgeway. Yeah. So l- let me just state this clearly. <laughs> the magnitude of it just struck me. You created this community garden. It's on an acre and a third or so. And, oh, by the way, there's somebody that raises bees that wants to put beehives right next to you. Go figure. And a gentleman who has been keeping bees, or as he puts it, hosting bees for 50 years of his life. So this guy is no slouch. He knows what he's doing. Wow. So we are blessed. How cool is that? And then number 10. Move forward with thoughtful vision and be flexible. And, you know, what I mean by that is there will be many times in the creation and the sustaining of a community garden when you fall on your face in the beet patch and you wonder what you're going to do next. (laughs) And you, you know, you come back to your membership and your board and you say, oh, my goodness, what do we do now? And you have that open communication again and you take your time you're thoughtful about what do we want to do in the next five years and are we paying attention to our original our original mission statement Mm -hmm. which is to provide the infrastructure resources and education for these members to you know learn through sharing and camaraderie are we paying attention to that mission statement? Okay, let's go back and think about what that next step has to be in a thoughtful way in order to fulfill that mission statement. Nice. Yeah. Wow. And I'll bet you have had some amazing experiences interacting with people, like things that happen that tell you, oh my gosh, this is the reason that I'm doing this. Um, maybe a five-year-old with a potato (laughs) this was one of the defining moments for me early on right after I took that master gardening class and started the initial community garden there were a group of little ones in the garden it was later fall and we were getting ready to dig potatoes and I thought oh 
Greg, what a perfect opportunity to involve these little five-year-olds. They like digging in the soil, right? I mean, that's one of their things. So we brought these little children over to the plot and gave them a little hand shovel and started the process. And I reached down into the soil and I found a spud so that I could guide that little hand. And this little five-year-old boy went in and found that potato and brought it up. And his eyes got really big. And he said, must be a monster living in the ground. (laughs) And I thought, oh, my goodness sake. This is kind of the epitome of youngsters and older folks, too, really not understanding where their food comes from. Right. And, you know, I tried to backpedal a little bit with him and said, no, 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 this is where French fries come from. And this makes a potato chip. (laughs) How can I relate to this little five-year-old? But it really cemented for me, oh, it's really important that we know how to grow our own food. And I sent some potatoes home with that little one that day so that he could taste a real potato, Mm. that sweet, juicy potato that happens when you grow it yourself. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before we shift, I want to touch on the community aspect of a community garden, because everybody can probably grow food in their yard. So why should they come to a community garden? Yeah. You know, I get that question, Greg, probably more than any other one. It's always surprised me over the years. People will say to me, well, why do you need a community garden? Why can't people just grow food in their backyard? Well, they can if they have the space or if they're not renting or leasing or if they know what they're doing. But so many gardeners, one, come to a community garden to learn what is this thing about growing food all about and how do I do this? But a community garden is, I would venture to say, not even so much about growing food. It's about fellowship. Mm. It's about who is that guy that lives right over there down the block that I have never met before? Oh, here he is in the garden. I get to know him and I get to create this friendship. And then he takes that knowledge of the community garden and the people that he's met in our community garden and they become fast friends. And this community connection begins to flourish and grow and there's support and help and connection and that is such a beautiful thing to see wow so what i hear you saying is as much about community as it is about growing food indeed nice yeah nice i'm gonna shift on you now And I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. Oh, this is a good one. (laughs) When we built, well, when we walked into, because I kind of walked into the first community garden that was already being started by a gal in town, there was a very generous landowner who said, oh, please take my land and build a community garden on it. And we thought, great, let's do it. And then we spent seven years digging the soil, creating compost, building that soil microbiome. And at the seven-year mark, the land was sold. 
and two houses were built on it. And we were devastated. We were just devastated after all of that backbreaking work. And the, the fact that people would come from just about all over the state of Colorado and say, you can't be growing these things here at 7,000 feet. And we'd say, I don't understand. Look at the garden. Yes, we, we are doing that. <laughs> so that lesson of putting a garden on a piece of private property was a really painful one. And we swore we'd never do it again unless that piece of private property was going to be free and clear to us. And we did look for that in our second endeavor, but we couldn't find it. So then we started going to the town of Ridgeway and asking them for a piece of open space property that we could occupy. So we were really dedicated to getting something that we could get a lease on and that it would be in perpetuity. So this would exist well past us. <laughs> so, so important to make sure. I've had many experiences that, with this over the past 45 years in Phoenix where they built something and the, you know, the land's not secured and it goes away. Yeah. So yeah. really important. And yes. your biggest success? Gosh, I suppose the easy one is this current garden has been through so much growth over the last 13 years. And we really have to thank for that success. The, the gal who held our hand at the beginning of this process, this, the Southwest Institute for Resilience out of the the Norwood area who nourished us through all of these growing pains. And that success was made of all of these successions of steering committees and boards who were mm. just so dedicated to keeping this thing running. And then the building of this new garden and it being a great success story for other gardens coming online in our region. You know, we are looked to as that success story. And how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And what drives you? Well, you know, when we started talking, Greg, you know, I said, you know, I, I tend to live by projects. You know, if I don't have a project, I'm not happy. So building a community garden is a big project. So, you know, you get that feeling of, waking up in the morning and having something that you're really passionate about. Right. And it makes you want to get out of bed. Amen. And get on the computer or get out into the garden and put your hands in the soil or meet some new people in town who are going to be new collaborators for the community garden. And all of those wonderful connections that you make with this kind of following your passion. Yeah, that's what gets me out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> One book that you would recommend for our listeners? You know, I, I did not read this book before we built a community garden, but I have read it since. And I, it is a great Bible for how to start a community garden. And it's literally called Start a Community Food Garden, The Essential Handbook, by Lamanda Joy, and it is recommended by the American Community Gardening Association. Oh, good. 
it is fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. And did you find that you did a lot of right things, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, like when I, I just read this in the last year and I thought, oh yeah, right on Lamanda. She talks so <laughs> much about doing your homework up front before you even put a shovel in the ground. Yeah. We, yeah, we did that. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. And a final piece of advice for our listeners. Experiment with as many things as you can in life. And don't be afraid to fail with those experiments. And if you keep doing that, you will fall upon something that you're passionate about. And that passion can change year to year or every five years or, I mean, it does for me, you know, I find a new thing and then I'm like driven and then I'm in 10 years, I'm bored and I'm on to my next project. Yep. But find something that you're passionate about and then find a volunteer opportunity to get involved oh, with that thing that you're passionate about. Very good. And it will make your life happy. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Chris. Oh, thank you for having me, Greg. It's been fabulous. Oh, you bet. And right back at you on the fabulous part. Yay. I want to, so I usually ask how our listeners can get a hold of you. We'll get there in a minute. How can our listeners help support your garden or other local community gardens in their area? Oh, yeah. So for us in particular, it would be sweet to have a few more viewers on our YouTube channel. Oh. And all you have to do is go to YouTube and type in Ridgeway Community Garden. That's spelled with no E. So it's R-I-D-G-W-A-Y Community Garden. And you'll see my little face teaching organic gardening. I like that question, Greg. How can you help community gardens where you are? Mm -hmm. Find out where they're at. Google them. Go visit them. Ask questions. See if you can become a volunteer. See if you can become a member. See if you can financially support them in any way. Understand the connections that they're making in the community. Maybe even help those connections happen so that those community gardens can flourish. Awesome. Thank you. And our listeners can find you at ridgewaygarden.org and there's some reading there, but there's also a lot of great videos and images of our beautiful garden. Mm -hmm. So that's just a fun thing to look at. And then you can always find me on Twitter at Chrissy Bird Girl. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Ridgeway Garden. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carbon Connection, a rebroadcast of the Urban Farm podcast. We want to thank Greg Peterson for introducing this episode and for allowing us to share his conversation with Christine Lance. 
Do you wonder how you can weave the topic of gardening into conversations about climate change? You can discover ways to do this in The Daily Difference, the daily email newsletter by the Carbon Almanac Network. Visit the show notes for this episode to learn about three ways you can use gardening as a conversation starter. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time.